Green Crusaders. Welcome to the first episode of the Nerd Crusade podcast. I'm your host, Ian, and my co-host today is Courtney. Uh, we are on a crusade to talk about everything nerdy, uh, from movies, video games, comics, and more. If it's nerdy and cool, we'll talk about it. So please hit that like and subscribe button below and to stay up to date with our podcast and our thoughts on the nerdy society that's out there. Today we're going to be talking about the multiverse uh, and the movies that have just come out dealing with the subject, as well as our current thoughts on the Halo TV show. So... Let's just jump right in, uh, and we'll start off with uh, the new hotness, which is Doctor Strange 2, the Multiverse of Madness. So, Courtney, what did you think of that movie? That freaking movie frustrated me to no end. Oh, my freaking God. Visually gorgeous. Acting great. But, oh, my God, what they did to freaking Wanda is so aggravating to me it pissed me off what are your thoughts on what they did to wanda and the movie as a whole yes yeah, so for those of you who don't know like the movie just came out uh this weekend um we saw it last night basically it's the f- second uh standalone doctor strange movie and in this movie they advertise that hey like wanda is going to be in it uh the scarlet witch from the continuing her journey right after the events of wandavision which was the disney plus like, first uh, MCU show, I think, right? Yeah, it was the first MCU TV show that, that they came out. Winter, Fal- Winter Soldier? Oh, yeah, that was yeah, well think, before yeah. that, because that was the second one, I believe, okay. and then Loki. So, WandaVision, great, great MCU TV show, was a great uh, visualized representation of somebody going through depression and grief and the different stages of it. And It's just the whole, whole representation of uh, grief and working your way through a tragic event and sorrow and sadness. It's that stages of grief is what almost each episode hits on. Yeah, so, and it was Wanda's journey to that because, you know, she killed Vision and then Vision came back for her to watch her die again. And so basically Wanda Vision, she brings him back. She basically creates the fact that they have children and a family and are living a life. And then has to basically let that all go to get over the the grieving process uh, that she lost vision, basically. And it's called acceptance. Yeah. Which she did at the end of WandaVision. And so at the end of WandaVision, it ends with her, you know, they introduce a new villain, which was uh, Agnes, uh, who is a... Agatha. Le- Agatha. Agatha Harkins. Agatha Harkins, who is a uh, real-life witch, so another witch in the universe, who... Um, Basically, one ends up defeating and like kind of putting on hold somewhere else. Who we'll probably see uh, Agatha come back later, and but like it ends with Wanda's taking Agatha's grimoire book and reading it, and going into seclusion somewhere else where she can't hurt anybody by accident again. A seclusion on the lake. Yeah, seclusion on the lake, and ends with her reading this book and basically after you watch Doctor Strange, you understand what she's doing at the end sequence of. WandaVision, um, but it just looks like she's going through it and learning more about real witchcraft and all this other stuff because Agatha brings up in the TV show that like she knows nothing about runes and all these other things that Agatha knows because Agatha is like literally a witch from the Salem witch trial times that has lived so long and survived and understands witchcraft. Wanda really has never understood her power. She just always has had them and can control the aspects of it. So when we go to move into Doctor Strange too, okay, this kind of does pick up um, after all the events of Endgame and all that stuff. Uh, and, but since the first Doctor Strange movie, you do, Doctor Strange really didn't have any closure on his relationships with his friends and his regular life or anything else. He's always just been cool. You're the Sorcerer Supreme. Hey, you're and he's been making appearances in all other films, helping our other heroes. He's not Sorcerer Supreme. Well, no, but he was he was in Floor Ragnarok. Yeah. So like he there's part of part of his his timeline is he was Sorcerer Supreme, and then he stopped being Sorcerer Supreme after he got blipped. So he was Sorcerer Supreme at one point, and then it went to Wong after he after the blip happened, after he got Thanos. So, but there's never been another movie like that lets him close out his relationships or his character growth or anything like that. So Doctor Strange two is supposed to be so that's why it starts off with him going to his ex girlfriend's wedding basically um trying to for somewhat in his own way like get closure out of that relationship 
but then just jumps right into the action of this girl, uh, America Chavez, being chased by uh, monsters that are reminiscent of things that we saw from the What If series mm-hmm. uh, in the multiverse, going after this girl, and the whole movie revolves around, like, hey, why is this girl being chased? Uh, what's going on? And the thing that's, like, really upsetting is that, like, the trailer uh, hints at... Uh, the trailer hints at uh, Mordo coming back to be a villain. And as we saw, Mordo was the was the guy who let Doctor Strange into the Mystic's arts to begin with. And then left at the end of Doctor Strange saying, hey, you've messed with time. You're not supposed to do that. That's natural law. And then... The end scene of Doctor Strange 1 was him hunting down other sorcerers that were weak enough and, like, killing them. Then we never saw Mordo again. He just disappears. Like, he's a villain that's just out there that hasn't been dealt with yet. Um, we do see him come back here, but he's, like, his presence here is pointless. Like, just like all the cameos in it, that sequence of the movie are pointless because of what happens. Yeah, and with Mordo, this Mordo, because he, obviously this has been all spoiler He. So this Mordo in this film is a different multiverse Mordo. And he's not out killing other sorcerers or anything. It's just to stop Doctor Strange. Because his Doctor Strange uh, was too involved in the multiverse. And they it looks like their goal is to stop all Doctor Stranges who are pursuing that. Yeah, because basically this goes really deep into the multiverse, right? Because, like, they end up going to a multiverse that names themselves 831. They give a name to our multiverse, which is, like, 62-something, I think, or 631 or something. Yeah. Um. So there's a universe out there that knows the multiverse exists and has counted all of them, at least of they, that they know of and what their differences are, this and that. Um. But, like, the story here, what's the real kick in the nuts here is that they made Wanda the villain. She's straight up the villain in this movie. And it doesn't make sense when you watch WandaVision because at the end of WandaVision, her whole driving point of a villain in this movie is that she's trying to find a universe where her kids still exist or her kids exist so that she can go and live in that universe and be a happy single mother with two kids for some reason. <laughs> Which doesn't make sense because if, like, if she's going to look for a universe that her kids exist in, why does she look for a universe where her vision and her kids exist in? Mm-hmm. But this student is completely focused on her being a mother and her wanting to have her kids back. <laughs> Which yeah. at the end of WandaVision, she clearly accepted that they weren't real and she gave it up and let them go and let Vision go and got over all that. So it makes no sense that her whole motivation in this is that, hey, I killed my husband, watched him, and then I had to watch him die again, and then I made, and then I brought him back, and then we had kids, and then I had to let them all go. I'm going to do whatever I can to find him, if it means if I have to kill this other person who has the power to travel through the multiverse at will, just so I can do it. And the stupid thing there is, like, it goes from, like, 0 to 100 on Wanda's point of view, right? Because, like, at the end of WandaVision, you sympathize with her, you understand that, like, hey, she did do some evil things in WandaVision, but she didn't mean to, and was still caught up in the depression and the grief stuff that was controlling her. And, like, Mm -hmm. the situation was solved by people reaching out and trying to console her rather than just trying to kill her, which is what S.W.O.R.D. was doing in that show. And here it's just, oh, you're using this dark book, which was a book that she got from Agatha. And it's like, oh, this book corrupts you absolutely, so you're evil now. And that's that's just the whole summary, which also doesn't make sense for the fact that Doctor Strange uses the book multiple times in this movie, and he's not corrupted and, dark and evil for he good. He just gets his third eye. His, like, really weird cgi third eye. Yeah, which they don't explain at all what that does they in this movie. Like, over. comic book fans would know what that's leading to and whatnot, but, like, it makes no sense to people watching the movie. It's like, all right, so this book gave the evil Doctor Strange version a third eye. It gave our Doctor Strange version a third eye by the end of the movie. Does that mean he's evil? But, but we, don't we don't know, know what it does at all. Um... So it's it's kind of weird. And like the thing is, like looking at this movie as a whole, uh, Sam Raimi, who is the director, has been reported saying, "Hey, he didn't watch WandaVision at all before started filming. Clearly, didn't even know WandaVision was a thing until f- after filming started. And then he watched only key moments of a couple episodes that were tied into the story, such as, "Hey, look, she has kids. Uh, hey, look, she has a dark book that's evil. That's it." Um, but the show doesn't even emphasize that this book is super evil by any means because Agatha wasn't 
a villain in the WandaVision so much as Sword was, where she was more of like, hey, I'm a witch. I noticed this, this crazy, massive amount of power being used. What's going on? She goes to investigate. And throughout the WandaVision show, she's there investigating as, huh, is this a threat? Is this an ally? Is this something I can steal? And then tries to steal it and then loses, obviously. But um, if she had this book the whole time, how come she wasn't trying to take over the whole multiverses or anything else or all that? If this book is so evil, right, that even the Sorcerer Supremes aren't supposed to be uh, reading, on, it, be, or... reading it or on the mountain where it was originally written by a demon or some shit like that. Um, but ultimately, looking at the whole story, because this is a Sam Raimi movie who originally did <laughs> Spider-Man, but is most finally known for the movie Evil Dead... It's another fucking Evil Dead movie. It's an evil book possesses somebody, and now they're and now they're bad, and everybody tries to stop them. That's that's yeah. what this is. Uh, with this is mo- Evil Dead into the multiverse, featuring Doctor Strange. Yeah, so like Sam Raimi didn't really crush any new ground here, and the fact that his lack of understanding of what happened to WandaVision and making Wanda the villain completely shows kind of a kind of a failure here, which I would say. This isn't the worst MCU movie, no. but uh, where I think that definitely that title's held for Eternals because it's completely garbage and feels like it has nothing to do with the universe. It makes no sense. This is more akin to like Thor two, where it's like when Thor two came out, you're like, yeah, this isn't very good. Um, there's one key thing here that we have to pay attention to, which is hey, the multiverse exists and they can travel through it, but is this going to be important down the line? Maybe not. So we'll have to see what happens from there on. But, I mean, the way Sam Raimi attacked this film and attacked this story was, I think, very terrible. Like, it's either he doesn't understand Wanda's character. Or her growth. Or her growth. Well, clearly not her growth <laughs> at all. Um, He doesn't under And honestly, I feel like he doesn't understand female characters. So when you look back at his other works, right, um, the Spider-Man series, Mary Jane is nothing more than a damsel in distress in almost all the all three movies. Mm-hmm. Um. The only f- powerful female character he's ever written was Quick and the Dead, and it was a very mm-hmm. shallow character at that. Um, so I don't think he's good at writing female characters, and trying to give him a, a female villain was a mistake. They should have made more to the villain, <clears throat> which would, and have to want to team up with uh, Doctor Strange to make a more more compelling story at least. Now that, that's like the major bad thing here is that like. People were upset about how Black Widow died in Endgame. People should be just as upset and more pissed off about what they did to Wanda here because this is a complete disaster yes. to her character since they did so much work making a good character out of her and then they just kind of shit on her. Instead, they seem to focus more on the things that people really liked from No Way Home, which was the cameos of the other Spider-Man, but that kind of fitted in the story of that Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. They went back and did reshoots, it sounded like, which involved a little bit more with this Illuminati and Universe 831 where... Basically, Doctor Strange and the girl he's protecting fly through a bunch of different universes at once trying to escape from Wanda. So where you see a lot of cool different multiverses. You know, paint universe, animated universe, all these different uh, things. Much attuned to, like, the third eye uh, sequence in the first Doctor Strange, which was really Mm -hmm. cool. But when they get there, they're captured. They have to... And Doctor Strange has to go talk to the Illuminati, which consists of Mordo as the Sorcerer Supreme... Um, Reed Richards uh, from Fantastic Four, a different version of Captain Marvel. You get to see Captain um, Carter, Captain Carter, which is cool. It's nice. Um, you get a different version of, uh, or you get the version from New Mutants, uh, Black Bolt. Yeah. I think it was New Mutants was the show he was on that nobody liked, but everybody seemed to have liked his character. Basically, the guy whispers a word at you. The tuning fork his head goes supernova and it kills you. Um. Him and then uh, Professor X. And it's Professor X, not necessarily the Professor X that we know from the X-Men movies, even though it is Patrick Stewart. He's riding around in the yellow hovercraft thing he has in the comics and the cartoon. Tune. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he gets repeated famous line of like, even though somebody's lost does not mean they're lost for good thing. Uh, that line that he says in, in his movies. He can say that, but it almost is, meaning, is meaningless because all these cameos... They show up, and then Wanda immediately kills all of them. Yeah. <laughs> like, brutally murders all of them. And the funny thing is, is that when Doctor Strange tries to warn like, hey, Wanda's coming here. She's going to use this book to possess the version of her here, and then she's going to come after us. They're like, oh, no, we can handle her if she shows up. And they obviously cannot handle yeah. her whatsoever. 
she defeats all the Ultron robots that they have protecting him and kills like every single one of them. Gives her one a hairy moment, it looks like. Yeah. It's it just truly is a little bit of a mess <clears throat> in that get, section. All to get a MacGuffin in this movie, which ends up being nothing because as soon as they get it, it gets destroyed and it's like yep. <laughs> so the whole thing we were running after this book of pure good to defeat the book of pure evil but then it book the... of pure good is destroyed and there's and it's in each uh multiverse there's the book of evil but there's only one book of good in the for all the multiverses yeah it's like wait what that's, that's kind of <laughs> definitely a plot hole there um so in the end, like, Wanda does get to redeem herself by, like, realizing after, after like, she's been emotionally broken again because, basically, she they show her monstrous villain self to her children. And her children are scared to death of her. And so, like, that kind of finally breaks her to then her leaving, giving up her pursuit, leaving the girl alone, and then <clears throat> destroying the source of the Black Book and all that so nobody can use it and destroys the, every version of the Black Book across the multiverse. So that's her redemption is that she basically sacrifices herself to destroy a stone tablet, which honestly is stupid and lame. And I don't think she's dead. They'll probably bring her back later on, whether it be a version of her from a different multiverse or they bring this one back. Who knows? It was a very poor handling of the character. Very poor handling of the Scarlet Witch. And I feel like Dr. Strange's growth was that he got over his, his relationship with his ex-girlfriend and that was it. Cause we don't understand what the new power is that he got. Uh, the one really, really cool sequence in this entire movie, the though. The only cool sequence, in my opinion, was his fight with his, uh, I guess we'll call him evil Doctor Strange. Yeah, there's a version of Doctor Strange anyway. in another universe that has gotten the book mm -hmm. and is guarding it. So he's evil Doctor Strange now. Yeah. And their fight, and it's very much a disney fantasia fight and it is wonderfully scored and the visuals that go with it are so beautifully done it is great and i loved every second of it and that was probably my only favorite part of the film uh, looking back now it's just that one secret sequence and it's towards the end and i wish they did more kind of fantasticalness with his magic in this film or if you are making a horror film don't cheap out and just do just jump scares make it creepy crawly make the hairs on the back of my neck you know prick up i wasn't wasn't really scared except for like one jump scare and it's like don't do cheap scump jump scares. That doesn't make a good horror film. Yeah, I think like the horror aspect that Sam Raimi brought to it was definitely the Dark Doctor Strange uh, had a little bit of it. They had a very very cool looking like dead spirits thing that mm -hmm. and the zombie Strange that that ends up being used. Yeah. <clears throat> um. But yeah, the musical fight was really interesting. But I would say the one downfall of that it's like it's a really cool fight because. Throughout the whole time, the sorcerers have always used their shields, their light whips, and magic like that, right? We don't really see them using other magical elements other than the kind of the basics. It's usually just shields, uh, mirror world dimensions, and whips. Well, or uh, swords, or yeah, something with the with their light weapons. power attached to it, right? Yeah. Um, this is the first time you see them take. Oh, cool! Here's the note music notes off of music pages. The he literally takes the, the notes off the pages, makes musical bars, and throw them at each other. So like having a sound fight, which is cool, but also kind of like, okay, now now utilize this with the other parts. It's kind of like watching a Superman fight where Superman's only using one power at a time. It's like, dude, you have so many tools at your, at your disposal. Use all of them. Where with this wizard fight, it's like they're only using one way, one thing to fight each other. And it's like... Okay, use something else too, dude. Then maybe you might get the upper hand instead of just obviously kind of hitting a a wall here until Doctor Strange uses one little extra note to kind of get the upper hand. Yeah. But that was that was done really well because, like I said, it's very reminiscent of Disney. And then the fact that Danny Elfman does the music for this film mm -hmm. uh, really makes that scene shine. It's just I wish I, I wish we could see more of that 
in more of the fights with Doctor Strange and, and when Wong and them fight that they use different elements other than just their light shields and stuff. Um, but overall, like this end, this movie ended. It's the second Doctor Strange movie. Doctor Strange is going to be coming back, but uh, they've said that he's not coming back for a long time. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, Cumberbatch is saying, like, hey, I'm taking a long sabbatical from all this. Because uh, he's going to go do whatever else and spend time with his family family one night. Because since the first Doctor Strange movie, he's been in a lot of movies as cameos and bit, and bit parts mm-hmm. and bigger parts in Endgame and whatnot. But this is his only second mo- second mainstay movie. But now he's going to be gone for a while. Um, <clears throat> I feel like Stage 4 still is going to bring in Fantastic Four because they have the Fantastic Four logo in their advertisement for Stage 4. Um, I hope it was not this Reed Richards, which was just John Kasansky look in a costume because you, you saw him stretch once and then get all stretched out in every which way and die. Yeah, but it's like here's the Fantastic Four, but there's only one member of them, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then see Professor X get beaten by Wanda is kind of weird because he's supposed to be the strongest mental mutant in the world. Hmm. So, I would say it's not my favorite MCU movie. Um, it's no. the multiverses that they show, like that you that they flew through and this and that, were interesting, but they didn't spend enough time on it. Yeah, it, it would have been more interesting to see them like kind of run through other un- multiverses too, instead of just staying in that one for so long, and just kind of have more of like a chase scene and. That probably would have been like that would have been a nice uh horror element, the horror chase scene, but through multiverses, that would have been really cool and kind of like a hide and seek moment. Or brought something about like Loki or something back in it into it since Loki created the multiverse. Well, he didn't create the multiverse; it was already there. Nah, in the Loki show the multiverse, the endings were being clipped by the TVA to keep one consistent timeline of one universe because King the Conqueror conquered all the multiverses, so he he condensed it down to one line, so King wasn't there. So there was already multiverses, but then yeah, but they technically condensed them down to one, and then when they kill King, he says, "I'll see you soon," and then the whole multiverse expands, and that's how we get the multiverse that they now have. Um, so Loki basically creates it all. So you want like the TVA running around? <laughs> It'd be interesting, like if the ending credit sequence wasn't a Sam Raimi joke and was like a link to Loki. Yeah, I agree. Because like usually it's you have an ending credit sequence which is more of like what was just happening, and then the very after all the credits, the last sixty second sequence is usually a hint to something bigger coming down the line. Where this was just the joke of having um, what's his name? Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell. <laughs> the joke they put in here is that they run into Bruce Campbell in this other universe, and Bruce Campbell starts giving Doctor Strange uh, crap, so Doctor Strange starts making him beat himself up with his hand, which is the, the nod, nod to... to Evil Dead. The ve- and he makes it kind of like, oh, it'll stop in like three weeks. So the very last ending credit sequence is Bruce Campbell beating the shit out of himself with his own hand, and then it finally stops, and then he's overjoyed that it's over. Yeah, and he says, it's done! Breaks fourth wall. Yeah, and it's like... Okay, that could have been used for something like a mid mid credit break or something. Yeah. Or we could have had a mid mid credit break with like here's kind of what's coming up. Here's a how we linking uh was it series four phase four sorry of the MCU. Yeah, because right now it's like we have no idea what's coming next. Uh, well, we know that like Thor Ragnarok is the next movie coming up, mm-hmm. but like, with they're taking such a long sabbatical and Doctor Strange ending this with him going off to fight another random battle, it's like, all right, so I guess multiverse is on hold. Multiverse is over here for now, and we're just gonna deal with whatever else is happening for a while, and then we'll come back to this later. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Um, again, overall, it's not the worst uh, movie. The MCU's made Eternals is definitely that, but this is definitely towards the bottom of the list. Um, cool special effects uh, and some decent comedy. Uh, I think the zombie uh, version of Doctor Strange that they used was used very uniquely, and the whole thing with the evil spirits and him taking control of that was done really well. That was definitely the horror aspect of it, but if you're going to bring Sam Raimi in to make 
a movie, you want them to take a horror aspect to it, let's make a real MCU horror movie. Mm-hmm. That would be really cool to see. To change, put, flip the genre on its head instead of being just a superhero fantastical movie, have it be a horror movie with superheroes in it <clears throat> and not just a few horror elements in a superhero movie. Yeah. Like I said, don't do the cheap jump scares because that doesn't really make a horror movie, in my opinion. It's just any film can do that and be like, huh, there was that horror element of it. But, like, have the classic chasing. Have, like, the hide-and-seek moment. Have the audience's hair stand on the back of their necks and be generally afraid, like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? Are our heroes, like, going to die? And have, like, a severe consequence of a hero either getting maimed or a death of some sort. Yeah. So that's our thoughts on Doctor Strange 2. We recommend you go see it. I mean, wait till it's out on I'd say Disney, Disney Plus, Plus for free. <laughs> um, just like like Eternals, I don't recommend anybody to see. It. I feel like Eternals is like is like if like somebody from DC or Image Comics like, hey, I want to make an MCU movie, and they just make a random one that has no connection whatsoever. Doctor Strange almost feels that way. Uh, so I would say wait for Disney Plus to watch it rather than go to the theater. Mm-hmm. Now, the next movie we're, movie we're going to talk about um, that we have a review for up on the webpage uh, on nerdcrusade.com. So definitely check that out. Um, this movie is really good, and I would recommend if you have a chance to see it, seeing it in your town or whatnot, definitely go see it because it's an independent film that only got played on maybe a couple thousand screens, but its its reception has helped it grow more so it's showing up everywhere else. And it's called... a. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's kind of like a martial... It's advertised as a multiverse martial artist movie with starring Michelle Yeoh, who is famous martial artist who uh, got her start in Jackie Chan movies. Um, interesting enough is that she was a dancer who applied dancing to martial arts stuff uh, to get into the Jackie Chan movies. And that movie is just absolutely fantastic because it, it's a multiverse movie that gives you the different multi, multi different universes. It's a different take on how to do a multiverse movies. Instead of having multiverses come into one universe or you traveling through multi uh you know different multiverses or universes they all come into one but through one person's head and that version of that person's head. Yeah, the concept is like our main character gets the ability to access all her pa- all her lives in all the different universes and access the skill set she, she has. So in our, in our universe or the like basic universe that the movie takes place in, she's just a a laundromat owner and her life's terrible. She's made every wrong decision she could possibly make throughout everything. But in another life she's a famous martial arts uh, movie star. In another life she's uh, a, a chef. In another life she's a uh... She's a singer in one. Yeah, she's a singer in one. She's uh, in a relationship with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in one, and they have hot dog fingers. Oh, what? There's relationship with Jamie Lee a Curtis. A bunch <laughs> of just different craziness. Like basically, any universe you can think of actually exists somewhere out there, and they give this give her a way to connect to it to utilize those skills. Basically, the plot of that movie is kind of pretty simplistic it's very and it's very obvious in the trailer that it's going to be like a mother-daughter thing that the villain's going to be the daughter um i do that after watching the first trailer um but it's very interesting because it's not it's not a movie about adventure through the multiverse and stopping an evil version of yourself or of your kid or, or something like that it's about understanding each other as human beings because the whole thing is that our villain doesn't want to is hunting her down but not to kill her but to try and make her understand what she's feeling because in her universe, mm-hmm. her mother pushed her so hard to travel with multiverses that basically she experiences everything everywhere all at once. Hence the title. Uh, which basically leads to their, like there being a feeling of nothingness and aloneness. So she wants her mother to feel what she feels. So she doesn't feel alone anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately like, Hey, this feeling of loneliness means that there's nothingness so that we should just, destroy ourselves and kill ourselves kind of like through the black donut hole (laughs) yeah kind of like in dogma how the villain jason lee plays is like i hate my hate my existence so much i just rather not exist yeah so she's trying to destroy the universes 
or at least herself and her mother, who is going, who's she's made just like her to understand what she's feeling. Um, but the great message in throughout all this is that like they go through it with the initial idea that you got to fight this evil, so you're going to use your skills from these other lives to fight against her minions or these people who are going to try and stop you through force. So like concept of solving your problems through force forcing forcing people to come around to your way of thinking mm -hmm. whether that is through physical force manipulation mm -hmm. discussion debate or whatnot you're forcing somebody to just accept your version of what how things should be and then going along with it or the other option of uh, which was done really well by her the guy who played her husband ki who kwan who is the more known for as being short round from indiana jones and temple of dune and being data from Goonies, like he stopped doing movies after after he was a kid because there wasn't a lot of opportunities for Asian actors, and literally got into this movie because he saw Crazy Rich Asians and wanted to work and saw that there's a place for Asian actors again in cinema mm -hmm. that was not just martial arts and stereotypes. So he got in this movie, and his character is really, I think, really one of the most pivotal characters. Is not only does he play kind of the, the bumbling husband. Yeah, the bumbling husband. He also plays, you know, the guy who gives her the ability to jump to all, jump to these different universes and gather these skills, mm -hmm. right? But the bumbling husband part of her, and even the suave debonair one that's in the universe where she's the movie star, mm -hmm. uh, has the concept of instead of forcing things like use kindness or be helpful or try and bring joy to people's lives, and then they'll be more willing to help you with your problems, type of thing. So it goes from this really funny aspect of martial arts fighting of beating the crap out of people to her, like, helping them find joy in the weirdest fucking ways. Because the other thing in this movie is the concept of randomness and chaos where it's like, in order to access these these skills, you have to do something random to do it. So it starts off with, like, when her husband's going to fight off the guards, he starts eating chapstick. And I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? And then he has martial arts skills to beat the crap out of him. Um, to jump to these different things, you have to do something crazy random. Yeah, and like hitting your head repeatedly against a pillar for no reason, or confessing your love well. to somebody who wants to kill you, and have to do it and mean it in order to, to make the jump. And if you do it wrong, you don't get the skills you're looking for. You something basically something a different skill that you don't want, like yeah. hot dog fingers. So. It has that nice element of chaos and randomness, which is like what I really like, like from like from like two shows like Fully Coolie and whatnot, where it's just mm -hmm. craziness is happening. But also has the the really poignant point of, hey, her husband actually solves a lot of their problems through him being kind. And like how the story goes is that she owns a laundromat, it's being audited by the IRS, and like her taxes are a complete mess. And they keep getting chances, and she keeps berating her husband because he's, like, making the auditor cookies and being nice to her. And she's like, why are you being nice to her? This woman hates us. She's racist. She doesn't like Asians. She's trying to destroy Asian businesses in the area. Um, why can't you just help me do this? And, like, she doesn't let him help, even though he's trying to help. Mm -hmm. um, to the point where, like, he's wanting to file for divorce, not to because he wants to break up with her, because he wants to start to stop everything to start the conversation. Yes. So that, I think that is, like... The biggest point of this film is that she has this huge wall which a lot of people in real life do have well just put up a wall i don't want to hear your side it's my way don't try to alter my way of thinking and like with the divorce thing it's that way of trying to chip at that wall and be like no let's talk let's break and let's open this dam to let our emotions and feelings and start the communication of our love together again and to also open up like your shitty relationship with your own daughter it's all about trying to open up and or get the person to open up and see the fault within themselves so they improve themselves so then they can help and improve other people yeah, and that's the crazy thing about this is like was when he explained why he had divorce papers. It sounds like a weird reason, like, no, hey, my friend did this, and him and his wife got back together instead of getting a divorce. So I'm doing it so we can try and talk about our relationship. And mm -hmm. like I said, 
that was like doing something that like we don't think people would do for that reason. Most people are like, I want to divorce because I can't stand you and want the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, he's doing it because he wants to stay into it, which is seems like so chaotically weird to do. But if he tried to approach it like, let's do counseling, so that, she'll just automatically go, no, no, yeah. no. By doing that divorce, that is a huge like thing in your face that you have to look at and you have to acknowledge. Yeah, and then when she, when she experiences her life as being a movie star and being happy because she didn't go to America with him when she was younger, and then she meets him at uh, again, and his life is great too. Uh, she then realizes the value that her husband has mm-hmm. as being like being kind and being ni- and nice to people was is a better way of doing things. Um, but this isn't just the relationship between her husband or relationship between her and her daughter. The fact that her daughter is gay and that she kind of accepts it but doesn't accept it well, accepts it enough that she's okay with it, but not okay enough to tell her father that her daughter is a lesbian. Yes. Um. Because she also has unsettled issues with her own father because he t- he is kind of like the stereotypical Asian f- grandfather is like, you made all the bad choices in your life and I'm telling you so your, t- your entire life. You should have done this. You should have done that. Because he told mm-hmm. her, hey, don't go. Don't leave uh, to America with him. You your do. Life- You're cut off from the family. Yeah. Your life is going to be ruined, blah, blah, blah. But over time, obviously, something got passed up because she's taking care of him as he's an old man. He's coming to and he came to visit them. Um so her whole life is that stereotype of my kid hates me because I'm not being as accepting as I should be. Uh, my husband's an idiot, even though because he's too nice and my father doesn't approve of anything to by the end of it where she understands her own disdain for her father, which is is kind of well placed, but also misplaced. like she she's upset that. Her life could have been better if she stayed at home, which she realizes. But she also has to say, hey, you're my dad. Why did you let me go to, in the first place? Why didn't you fight harder to make me stay? To understand the end that doing that would have been the wrong thing. He had to let her go so that she now understands his point of view. Because as we're dealing with her own daughter and the evil version of her daughter, she has to understand that forcing her to stay or to not disappear into the do- the donut mm-hmm. uh was the wrong choice that she had to let her go and yeah. in doing so the dark kind of comes back from trying to destroy herself basically it's a weird it's kind of a weird concept of saying like saying you have to let go but even if letting go is like my daughter wants to kill herself because her life sucks and there's nothing i can ch- do to change her mind okay i'll stop smothering you and do what you want to do to then her daughter realizing that her mother does love her and decides not to kill herself. Yeah. So. It, great, beautiful story. It reminds me of like, like a great live action anime. And visuals are great. Music's great. Characterization is great. It, everything is great. It does have a bit of a lull in the middle. But I think with the story and the characters you can get past that wall. Are you talking about the part where, like where she finally, where she does what her daughter does and like experiences everything and goes to the part where like, there are rocks? I love the rocks though. You feel for the rocks and then especially when she put googly eyes on finally. Because her husband was googly, googly, eyes. googly eyes to make, you know, bring joy and happiness because googly eyes are freaking funny. And it reminds me of what you used to do would be put googly eyes on everything and I would discover something that had googly eyes. And I'm like, oh, this is stupid. I love it. <laughs> and so she, and that's towards the end when she finally puts the googly eye on herself. And then all her other selves start having googly eyes. And her rock self has googly eyes now. And it's adorable and sweet and amazing. Yeah, I love the rock. Kakuni. Yeah. I, I think that whole sequence there is kind of like, her daughter experienced everything ever all at once and felt the loneliness of just existing and there being nothing there. Like, hey, I'm in a universe where I'm a rock and there's nothing I can do. I just sit here and I'm a rock. And accepting the universe as it's been presented, mm-hmm. where by the end of it, her mother has experienced everything and is like, okay, I'm not going to accept the universe as it is. I can make it what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. So... The rocks start moving by themselves. The rocks get googly eyes. 
any university you think of can exist. So like her mom always gets Ratatouille mixed up with Ratatouille. So like she's like, no, it's a raccoon on the guy's head who's making him cook. So in the universe where she's a chef, her competition is a chef, but he has a raccoon under his hat controlling him like Rat like Ratatouille. And she like they have the cr a crazy adventure there where like. I can't even describe it. It's just crazy. You have to watch it. Cause it's, it's just... Don't ruin like, there's like, there's no, there's like no words for it. And even like the universe where they have hot dog fingers and she's in a relationship with Jamie Lee Curse. It's weird, but like funny and hilarious at the same time. And then it all ends up instead of accepting things how they're presented to you, like, well, mm -hmm. this is it and this is all you can do. Forcing it's like, no, the universe will bend to my will and I will do what I want to do. And I will make these things right as I see fit. Yeah. Um, and when she finally accepts all that, in her universe, things start to take the turn for the better. Mm -hmm. Her relationship with her daughter gets better. Her relationship with her husband gets better. Hell, her relationship with Jamie Lee Curtis, the IRS agent, gets better. Like, they have an understanding out front of the laundromat, and they have a heart-to-heart -to -heart together. And that was a really great scene. Yeah, because, like, literally, she was about to get arrested for, like, assault, because she, like, hit... Uh, character at one point by accident and like they show up f for this last minute IRS uh, seizure audit to start seizing stuff and it all stops because like she kind of goes crazy and goes through that existential journey but like what I thought was interesting is that Jamie Lee Curtis when like she, she gives her a break says yeah your husband told me uh, what happened she's like what do you mean it's like he told me he searched your papers and I remember going crazy when my husband searched your papers I drove a car through the front through the uh, living room I'm like okay see like his aspect of be nice and explain things to people actually worked and like gave them more time to research, do stuff gave them more understanding and help Jamie Lee's Curtis character understand their situation more versus just being you people don't understand taxes. You're not doing the numbers right. What's wrong with you? How can you not do this? Screw you. You don't deserve to have your business. Yeah. So like I said, it's a great movie more so about the understanding of the multiverse, bringing people to understanding how to understand each other as human beings better. So please see awesome this movie. movie. Please see it. If you could see it in the theaters, go see it. I strongly encourage more of this type of filmmaking and films to get out of the same old rut of like MCU and regurgitated remakes and stuff like that. Yeah. This is the type of thing that like fantastic fest and like uh, old indie movie festivals used to be about with like, Hey, here's fantastical, interesting fantasy science fiction movies that <clears throat> are escapism like Marvel movies are, but like, they have deeper meetings or they have really cool ideas that people expand upon that big studios don't take a chance on. The past few years, it's always the Indian scene has been a lot of art house movies of dramas and sappy, depressing things because people have been depressed with COVID and whatnot. It's refreshing to see something like this um, where people you are getting out of that rut. Yeah, and you experience every emotion when you watch this movie, mm -hmm. which is great, which is fun film should do it should take you on a journey through your emotions and explore your feelings so definitely check it out it's called everything everywhere all at once great movie buy it when it goes to dvd or on demand go see it in the theaters if you can it is an awesome movie probably the best movie we've seen so far this year um so i would definitely definitely highly recommend that now, uh, in about like the last 15 minutes of our show here, uh, we're going to move to not necessarily multiverse, but definitely a show that created a new universe that has nothing to do with its source material, which is the Halo TV show. Do we have to? <laughs> yeah. Oh, why? Um, this show is was is something that's like a product of uh, the gaming studio that owns it, as well as... Um, I think CBS Showtime is basically the owners of the rights to make the TV show, but three for three, like half the executives at three for three are like all executive producers on this. <laughs> and they've made a TV show that has absolutely nothing to do with the Halo video games, the Halo lore that's in all the books and comics uh, to make something completely different uh, that makes no, that 
I guess as people who have known nothing about Halo, they may think it's a decent like sci-fi show because they basically just made like a mediocre sci-fi show and threw a Halo skin on it. Where anybody who is a fan of the lore or even of the, the story of games. games hates this this TV show. Um, in my opinion, Three Over Three has always like lacked the ability to tell a good story, and now they've let people who don't understand the platform even less than they do uh, take a whack at it. So you have a story now where like. You could have. This could have very well been like a video game version of the Mandalorian, right? Or a, a vi- or kind of a copy of a little bit of the Mandalorian, where the Mandalorian is here's a character in the Star Wars universe who doesn't take off his helmet, and they tell a story about that character. Uh, Master Chief in the video games is a character who doesn't take off his helmet because uh, you perso- put your personification into him, basically as the shell of the player, but. Master Chief does have, have a few lines from the very first game to the last game. He does have lines that he says that, to me, prove clearly he's a human being. He's not a robot. But they literally treat the character like he's a robot who has to discover his humanity in this TV show. So it's the show more about him trying to be a human and then interjecting aspects of the game to it, like... The AI Cortana almost has no no purpose whatsoever, other than being like, a spy. Tool. Here's Cortana because she was in the video games. Hey, here's Halsey. She was in the video games. Yeah, like, like Jesus Christ. This game, this f- freak. Uh, yeah, literally, like the story of Halo is supposed to be: Super Soldier Spartans were created to essentially quell a civil war, a rebellion happening, but then this. Alien Covenant of group of di- multiple different type of alien species species show up and they start destroying hu- human worlds, like literally glassing planets, turning them to dust, and destroying and killing mi- millions upon billions of human beings as they go through the galaxy. So instead of fighting the Separatists, the Spartans are deployed to fight the Covenant, and then you have the Covenant War with the humans. That's what everyone was expecting this show to be about. The Covenant. It's the only thing that looks good at all in this show because they spent all their money on making the Covenant characters look good. But the Covenant aren't really at war with anybody. They're, they're technically good. They're, they're archaeologists looking for artifacts. They show up, find an artifact, kill any witnesses, and then they take off. They don't sit there and glass a planet just to glass the planet. So it's like... There's no reason to be afraid of the Covenant. It's like, cool, let's discover, learn more about the Covenant. And they're archaeological finds maybe they have their own indiana jones or something that's basically what it is they're they are kind of they are archaeologists looking for artifacts that they have a religion built around but we don't really know a lot of that from the tv show you know more of that from the video games because they've only been in there for like 10 minutes so far it's like three episodes that the that the covenant have even showed up in um like like maybe total 15 minutes but, like, they go to immediately, episode one, let's take off the Master Chief's helmet. And then throughout oh. the rest of the show, his helmet is off at every possible avenue. And to the point where it's like... to get cheek butt. And, yeah, they have nudity, like, somewhat nudity in there, which makes no sense. You get cheeky nudity. <laughs> Just butt cheeks and side boob. Yeah, Almost point, like, it's it, so it, show's just terrible. I mean, so even as, a, even just a mediocre even as just a mediocre sci-fi show it's it's not great because it's not focusing on any of the sci-fi it's focusing on characters that they don't really give you reasons to care about other than hey play the game look it's the same character oh wink wink nudge nudge like in a universe where there's supposed to be a genocidal war against human beings happening which doesn't feel like that's happening at all and then there's supposed to be a army of of spartans out there and they're only we've only seen four fully equipped Spartans and one that escaped training. who's become a a space pirate, which makes no sense whatsoever. And they focused on, they basically focused on chief finding out his about his past, which in the lore, they're always told what, what actually happened because they specifically said in one of the books, like, Hey, we need to be honest because if we're not, it's not going to, this whole thing won't work and the Spartans will rebel or something. So they told them, what the fuck happened? They knew what what happened to them. Which is what they're doing in this show now. They're yeah, rebelling. The show is the whole concept of the Spartans don't know their past. We've 
put a pellet in their back to make sure they don't have emotions, which is stupid. And now they're now they're pulling the pellets out and they're realizing that the military is evil or something. Um, that in itself, the whole story is kind of garbage as is. Um, they have, like I said, there's nudity. There's somewhat nudity in there, which is like, why is there nudity in this? There's no need for nudity in a story that's supposed to be based off of a space war. Um, there is even the basic concepts of military protocol don't make sense in this. Because... It doesn't exist. There's no military protocol in this fucking show at all. This is like, they said, oh, we're military, but not really. We're more of a corporation. And That's this is like. Yeah. And this is how corporate people do things and talk and have lower people like talk, but we won't take them seriously. It's like, Oh, that's not what the military fucking does. Oh my freaking god. I hate this show. Yeah, literally. I hate it. I hate shift, everything about it. My shift goes AWOL at least three times in the season back. In the second. Second. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, like he leaves and like the first he disappears order in the first episode. Oh, and then he tried to kill Halsey. He tried to kill Halsey twice. Is never sent to the brig or punished for it. He's a master chief, which is the highest ranking uh, level you can be on in the listed. But anybody who's a lieutenant, a captain, commander, or anything who's an officer outranks you. He should be those people, and there's no salute. He's literally telling Captain uh, uh, Keys, Keys what to do, or command, or Miranda Keys, uh, Miranda Keys, Captain Keys' daughter to do shit and she's doing it he's like giving orders to people who outrank him it's like that makes no sense and the funny thing is like they boast about how how we're in budapest we did this real military training thing it's like okay hungary has a military of a total of twenty-two thousand active soldiers all right the u.s has 1.4 million active duty personnel a total of 2.2 million act of uh, people in the military like you learn how to do military maneuvers and shit from like People playing soldier versus a, f- learning from a group who actually knows what the fuck they're doing, and that's that's the only thing I can explain like why like they completely ignore protocol from time to time, and like why captains are captains here but nobody's captaining a ship because and everybody's apparently in military intelligence, uh, why nobody's being arrested for going AWOL or doing things outside of protocol, like literally trying to kill the head scientist in the U.S. military twice once he jumps at her ready to punch her in the face full force and Cortana just shuts him down and somehow it's just magically disappeared and he just yeah, he, falls. he literally jumped through the air to punch her in the face and then he just falls flat as if like suddenly there's a wall there yeah. which I'm sorry physics doesn't work that way he would at least have tackled her yeah uh, he would have her it's cool. and then he locks her in a lab and is about to kill her by uh, activating the fire suppressant uh, protocol that would suck all the oxygen out of the room just to see if the Cortana, uh, if the Cortana is taking stop, could force him not to do it. It's like he should be the brig for all this. Like he should be demoted and not be the lead for anything. Yet everybody's like, "Well, Master Chiefs, you know, he's the best of the best." It's like he hasn't he's done. It's not. He, he has not proved anything in this show to prove that he's the best of the best. Yeah, there was one skirmish before all this happens, and then one fight towards the end where he saves a soldier who he says. Who basically caught, follows his lead, pulls out her pellet, and starts feeling all these emotions and realizing what's going on. He says, "Oh, you're not- more interesting than Chief." Yeah, and he's like, "Well, you're not fit for duty because you did that." And it's like, "Well, what are you? Because you did it." Yeah. <laughs> and then they basically make her a damsel to show for him to go save, which is really stupid. That pissed me off. It's the writing is terrible here. Um, we all know, like, what the worst. Well, I would say the worst fucking thing is that when they finally reveal the halo ring as being this MacGuffin that everybody's going to end up on eventually. It's in a fucking like dream like sequence. It's a dream sequence and like he's about to kiss the villain. <laughs> like oh. him and the villain are having a, having a connection because it's this girl who was kidnapped by the covenant as a child who's raised by them because she can interact with this with these artifacts and turn them on and the covenant can't. And she uh, Master Chief seems to be the only person on the human side who can interact with these artifacts and, and uh, turn them on as well so they're trying to all figure out what the hell's going on but so him and this chick are having this connection it's like we don't need master chief trying to make out with this covenant spy like she's the threat why are they letting her walk around freely why are they like being nice to her like 
She literally tried to kill a guard in the last episode, and they were okay with that. It's awful. It's a hot shit show of a mess of a show. I know they're greenlit for a season two, but please no. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend watching it at all. I mean, the the people I feel like who are watching saying, oh, this is a really good show, have no, don't understand the lore of, of Halo at all. So, like... Either they played the games and they're somewhat familiar, like, oh, yeah, it's a first-person shooter. It was a fun game. Played in college maybe a few times. But they weren't deep into the lore. Mm-hmm. Anybody who was a huge fan that read all the books and all stuff, which is what 343 originally was catering to, because, like, Halo 4, I think, is a terrible game because it references so much stuff from books and, and outside lore of the video games that if you only play the games, you have no idea what the fuck they're talking about or why they're why they're so knowledgeable in some of the areas that they are because it was never brought up in the previous games. Mm-hmm. But to this point where it's like, here's a TV show for people who, one, know nothing about the military because the military protocol that's not being followed here is aggravating as fuck to anybody who does know it. And somebody who doesn't understand sci-fi other than being spaceships and laser guns because... Yeah. Like, I, I... I don't even see a Star Wars person like watching this like, yeah, this is good. This is like good space fantasy. Like, this is terrible sci-fi. It's just written horribly. It's horrible, and I hate the fact that Chief always takes his helmet. Well, you could have a drinking game of how many times Chief puts his helmet on, and he won't be drunk at all. Yeah, the weird thing is, like, it's not just that his helmet's off all the time. It's like it's, it's just his emotion, He's... which is bullshit. Because Mandalorian showed that you could show a wide range of emotion with a helmet on your head. But it's also like the situation where his helmet's off make no sense. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I'm walking into this new colony where people are hostile to me because I'm a Spartan to begin with, but I'm going to walk around with my helmet off. Yeah, you know, because, you know, I guess no one has good aim in this universe either. And the way he holds his helmet is, like, he always has his hand, like, in the helmet, just holding it to the side. It's like, he can't quickly put throw it on in case he needs to. You have to stop, put put down what's in his other hand to pull, pick up his helmet and put it on his head. He's always just walking around with it instead of, like, wearing it, which, to the point, makes no sense. It's like... So abrasive that they're obviously just trying to piss off the fans with it. Yeah. Um, and the thing was, is like, when you compare this to shows like The Mandalorian, where here's a character who rarely ever takes off his helmet, like, we didn't know that was a thing with The Mandalorian when you when first watched it. Like, they make that a thing in the lore in the first episode. Like, hey, we never remove our helmets. But it's like, we weren't expecting that. We never saw Boba Fett's face in the original Star Wars uh, until the prequel series where you see Jango Fett mm-hmm. and all that. You never knew that never, we never knew much about the Mandalorian culture or that there's subsects of that never take off helmets. Cause even in rebels and the cartoons and stuff, there's Mandalorians with their helmets off all the time. It's kind of a brand new aspect that they threw into a TV series that was really cool. And everybody liked, you could have done the same thing with Halo. Yeah. People might say, Hey, you're copying Mandalorian, but it's like, well, Chief doesn't take his helmet off of the game either, so it's kind of already established lore. The fact that it's like, first episode, here's here's my here's my face, and here's my face in every other episode. It's like, ugh. Yeah, I don't need to see like face. You should not. If it should should just like made not not Master Chief. He's just a random yeah. Spartan. Like, it's. I mean, it's the Spartans bad. in um, Halo Reach had their helmets off a lot, but it all made sense as to why and when they took their helmets off. Yeah. Uh, they weren't always just walking around every two seconds. Yeah, pop my helmet off, pop my helmet off. It's like, yeah. no, when they're out walking around, they had their helmets on. It's when they're in a base doing a rundown of the mission. Yeah, you have your helmet off. You know, you gain something to eat, something or to drink. Something's been secured. A place has been secured completely. It's like. Exactly. Yeah, so. Here, it's just. Halo of this shit. It's $9 million <laughs> an episode, I believe. Uh, so it's like a ninety million dollars show, and there's nine episodes, so um, at least nine million dollars an episode. Obviously, all the money goes to the special effects and to the covenant because those look really good. Again, but, only see them fifteen minutes throughout this entire series so far. And I would say that that only looks good in the episodes past the first one. I mean, they kind of look good in the first episode, but there's clearly special effect and editing issues mm-hmm. in the first episode, like where you see a foam gun, you see a, a crappy CGI gun get thrown to the ground. <laughs> um, one that they completely, the editors here on the show are, and the writers are all over the place. 
Like they clearly don't under they clearly aren't paying attention. Like it's it's continuity is not this show's strong point. Yeah, because like literally in the very first episode, Chief has a battle rifle which he throws to the ground because it's out of ammo. Excuse me. In the last episode, one of the characters pick up that exact gun and fire it. It's like the gun had no ammo. That's why he threw it down. Why does it suddenly have ammo? It's just it it's has been... ammo. The gun magically moved to yeah. under a truck. It was like this is the gun that he threw down. <laughs> The, in that first episode why does it suddenly have ammo why is it suddenly under a truck now um really weird it's, and those are like those are rookie mistakes that should not be being made on a television show that's 90 million dollars mm-hmm. um they'll like i said it's been greenlit for season two Please i don't no. recommend watching it watching Please it no the only redeeming thing that would happen is the very last scene of this series Chief wakes up with his helmet on and was like, oh, that was a dream. That's a dream. With the original uh, voice actor of Master Chief going, oh, that's a weird dream. And then looks out the window and there's like a covenant chick coming at him. Something, something like that. Or you see the Halo ring. And that's the other thing is that Halo game is was the game that brought gaming mainstream to Everett to the masses. First person shooter mainstream. Yeah, which, which evidently, which pushed gaming as a whole to more more mainstream groups as as it went like they launched the xbox original xbox it was a first person shooter to be played on consoles it had a good story good characters and good music here's a tv show that uses none of the fucking music that is iconic for the game but is that because of licensing or something yeah, Marty Donald owns a lot of the music still, but there's... Couldn't they have paid him a lot of money to have used it? But there is a version of the Halo theme that's in Halo 2 with the rock guitars yeah. that, that Microsoft owns. a lot of people know and associate, like, that's the Halo. They could have used that for the battle scene, and they didn't use it. Agree. Like, I agree. They're, the uh, the monks singing the, the chant at the beginning of the Halo uh, credits or whatnot could have been used when they realized that hey here's the halo ring that they're looking for like none of that stuff was used so it feels completely displaced and 343 said they're saying well we're trying to bring halo to a wider audience but it's like you guys don't even understand why it was why why it brought in a wider audience to begin with mm-hmm. i mean it definitely wasn't the first first person shooter to be on a console or to be in gaming but it was the most approachable and one that got not just pc gamers to play console play a console it got people who don't play console games to play console games both men and women it wasn't just hey we've got this one niche crowd from one area to to one platform to another it was something that made everybody suddenly understand oh gaming is fun yeah and brought the gaming industry to the huge feats it is now where it where it makes more money than the movie industry does Mm -hmm. um but to sit there and watch them like try and push it to tv and do such a shitty job. It's like you're ruining the chances for any other good IPs to make good TV shows. Yeah. So I'd love to see a Mass Effect show. I'd love to see... Um... <laughs> trying to think of the, of the other the other RPG game that came out last last year. I can't remember, remember one way out with the Moonhead. Moonhead? Yeah, completely like spaced on the name. Moonhead? Moon. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh. Uh. Da, 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 da. It's like, what was like kind of like a helix thing? I forget. Um. Edit that part out. Yeah, but there's like there's a ton of video games out there that could be adapted to TV shows or movies that have like movies have come out before and they've all kind of been kind of cheeky and like campy and, and not really good but you could do a video game into a tv show really well because you can take the time to tell the story right like you could do a really good uh newer version of the resident evil games i think at a like a mini series yeah they event. did like a mini series horror thing for resident evil i think that'd be really good it would be really awesome like uh resident evil 7 i think would look really good just like a three-part mini series or four-part mini series would be really interesting um, and you could really dive into ho- the horror aspect and yeah, control fear. would be another control. Good one. That's that'd be another great TV show. That would be an awesome TV show. But like stuff with like the Halo TV show, kind of will be examples of hey, look, 
this shit is garbage and it failed. That's why you can't do video games and TV shows. And then nobody else will take a chance at something until it's forgotten. And by that time, people will not remember how to do the uh, these older RPGs uh, or older R- or old IPs correctly on TV. So mm-hmm. overall, Halo show is garbage. I wouldn't recommend watching it if, uh, if you have Premiere or uh, Paramount+. Paramount. Plus. It's only showing on Paramount Plus. Uh, it has driven a lot of like subscriptions for Paramount. Um, a lot of people are wa- are watching it, but we're kind of watching, it, seeing if it's going to get good. I don't know if people are gonna, <laughs> the same amount of people are going to tune in for season two because I feel like everybody who's watching it and hating on it, it's it's helping them make good make content and to re- and to review it. But after wa- this first season, I don't have a desire to watch it again. I don't have a desire to see what happens in season two because. I already know they've gone so far off, off, off uh, the rails, off the rails of what the story should be that I'm not interested where it's <sighs> going. Um, eventually, they'll get to the things that we want to see, like the invasion of Reach, them finding the Halo ring, maybe the flood, but they're gonna do it all wrong. So who, why bother watching it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that is our episode for today. Thank you guys for tuning in for the first episode of Nerd Crusade. Uh, again, check us out at nerdcrusade.com. Uh, you can find our podcast where all podcasts are found on uh, Apple iTunes, uh, Spotify, all that stuff will be there uh, under the Nerd Crusade. So come check us out. Uh, we'll have reviews up of most of the, mo- most of the videos or movies this summer, uh, comic books, anything you want us to talk about, let us know. I really think Courtney should do either an article or we should do a podcast talking about Berserk since you've read all the books. Zerk, it's so great, and you need to read it. Yeah, so uh, we'll probably have that coming up in the future. Um, and check out our stuff uh, at www.nerdcrusade.com, and we have a Twitch uh, channel called The Nerd Crusade. So come check us out there when you uh, want to catch us playing some games sometime. All right? Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.